Morning, everybody. Happy New Year to you all, and welcome to our service here this morning. Jesus said, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. A bit later on this morning, John's going to read from Matthew 6, and we're going to hear that again. Jesus is going to teach in that passage, and we're going to hear him teaching the Lord's Prayer. And I want you to, when we do that a bit later, to just look at the context of the Lord's Prayer, the setting that it's in, the verses that are around the Lord's Prayer, because it's not one of piety and high religion. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's It's Jesus telling people how to live everyday lives. And I think it's Jesus trying to ground his disciples in a very personal prayer with a God who they can have a very personal relationship with. We'll come on to that later. As we start our service today, we're going to sing uh, brightest and best of the sons of the morning. Dawn on our darkness and lend us thine aid. I know this seems like a Christmas song and Christmas um, is, is rapidly disappearing in the rearview mirror. But actually, in verse 3 we read, Richer by far is the heart's adoration, dearer to God are the prayers of the poor. And as you probably gathered, we're thinking about prayer this morning. So if you'll stand, we'll sing brightest and best and then we'll pray afterwards. Father, we come to you as our creator, as the owner of the universe, as the start of everything and the finish of everything. We come to you as our God and we praise you for everything that you have done, everything that you plan to do, and most of all for all that you are full of love and grace and mercy. We thank you for a year that's passed and we thank you for the start of a new year. We know it's nothing in terms of timescales, in terms of your timescales. But for us, you've given us time to mark our lives and at this time we think about the opportunities that we have in front of us both personal and family and friends and also the opportunities to be a witness for you to bring others to know you as we know you We pray that you'll help us to not be the same old person of last year. But help us to seize opportunities of the new year. 
We pray, Lord, that we don't just focus on our own lives and those of the people just around us, but that we focus on Jesus, your Son. We do so look forward to his return. And in those times when we're caught up in our lives and maybe not looking forward to anything other than that which we can see in front of us. Help us to remember those in Asia, in Africa. Help us to remember those all around the world that we hear about day in, day out, whose everyday lives cry out for Jesus' return. Because they have nothing. Lord, help us to constantly focus on you and to really believe that you have a plan that matters for us. Be with us. Keep us close to your lovely son, Jesus. Amen. We have a reading planner, which some people in this church use. Uh, And I always, when I'm going to be standing up here, have a look at what those readings might be. And they fit perfectly well with what I was encouraged to think about today. In the Psalms that we would have read today and yesterday, these words come up. He has made us a little lower than the angels and crowned us with glory and honour. He made us rulers over the works of his hands and put everything under our feet. I think for those who've just come in or those of you who struggle with the concept of an intimate relationship with the creator God. Those words give a context for it, don't they? They give a reason as to why God would want an intimate relationship with us. Because he's made us to give him glory. He's made us a little lower than the angels and crowned us with his glory and honour. So don't struggle, as I do sometimes, to believe in the intimacy that God wants in relationship with us. If you do struggle, then just suspend your disbelief for the next few minutes as we share this time together. And try and see that God is reaching out to you and to me. Steve's going to share with us the uh, announcements. And while he's doing that... Um, we're going to send the collection bags around. As you can see there, the collections are for the general fund and for the building fund. Morning, it's good to be here. Warm welcome to all of you, including our visitors and friends and family. Marion has had an appointment with a heart specialist recently, and Sheila is going to visit Marion in Tuesday, and we'll have more news then. We remember Anne as she continues to look for work and have interviews, and this week Anne's got a week-long interview process starting on Monday, and we pray this goes well for you, Anne. Nikki, son Sam will be starting a new school this week. It's likely to be quite a stressful and difficult week for them all. We also remember those of our church who struggle daily, including Steve and Patricia and Gladys and Ian, and all those who we may not know about, but we know our loving Father knows their needs. So that's the care news for this week. Thank you very much. We're going to sing a prayer together 
for uh, as we think about those that Steve's just uh, mentioned in a moment. But is there anybody else that anybody here would like us to remember, particularly whilst we're saying that prayer? The prayer that we're going to sing together is hear my prayer, O Lord. Just while we hear the first two verses, I'll ask you to listen to that. You stay seated for this, if you would. So the first two times through the verse, you just listen. And then as we go into the chorus, could you all join in, please? And then we'll sing it through again at the end. John Brand is going to come and read to us from Matthew chapter 6. Sermon on the Mount, and as Steve's already indicated, the context of which perhaps is seen in the final verse of chapter 5 of Matthew. We're reading chapter 6, but the last verse of chapter 5 says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Chapter 6. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corner to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father, who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, They have received their reward in full. But when you fast, 
Put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, would he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Thanks, John. Those who know me well will know there's a certain irony about me doing a talk about prayer. The managing committee have, uh, for some years now, even if you haven't noticed it, um, asked speakers to theme certain months of talks. And this month is a theme around, I think I'm right in saying, a personal relationship with God. And I was asked particularly to think about prayer in that personal relationship with God. And prayer is not something that I find comes very easy. I'm looking at my father-in-law now, who I know, you know, when he was plumbing in our flat 20 years ago in London, would sort of stop just before he made a joint on a, 
on a piece of copper pipe and say a little prayer. It always made me a bit nervous because I thought, well, if he doesn't know what he's doing, then perhaps he should. <laughs> but, it, but it wasn't about that. It was about a level of sort of confidence that God was in the everyday as well as in, you know, the moments like this when we're in church together in religious ceremonies, if you like. And yet God isn't in the everyday in terms of a prayer life in my life all of the time. And so, you know, I was quite um, taken aback when I was asked to, to think about prayer. And, and I started looking in the Lord's Prayer. And I looked at the context and I thought, actually, there's something quite odd about the context of the Lord's Prayer being in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And maybe it's a bit of a lesson to me. So I see the Sermon on the Mount as a, as a kind of an exposition of the new covenant, the new law that Jesus brings, if you like, that God brings through Jesus as opposed to the old covenant. So in the old covenant, one man went up a mountain and met with God and got the laws and came back down. And before he'd even arrived back down, he'd broken them again because he'd looked at what the people were doing. And they were, they were so far away from God that he was so angry that he just shattered the laws. In the new law and covenant, in the in Matthew, that we the first few chapters of Matthew, what you get is not one man going up a mountain, but Jesus taking all men up a mountain and sharing with them through stories and parables and, and everyday experiences how they should behave, what the expectation is of the Heavenly Father on those people. He doesn't say, I just put aside everything that was in the old law, um, but he fulfills it. And he makes it real. He makes it every day. He makes it personal for those people. No longer, says Jesus, do they have to or can they rely on the piety of religious leaders to get them past God in some way, to make them righteous in front of God. Now, it's a prayer of personal responsibility buried in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which is all about personal responsibility, how we respond in our everyday lives to God's calling to us. And whereas central to the old life under the law was ceremony and sacrifice and lots of religious activities, if you like, central to this new law is a relationship with God in the unseen places, as Jesus puts it. Not the high days, not the church activities, but the everyday. And even the prayer that Jesus gives us that John read then and that we all know, or most of us will know off by heart, avoids a sort of an overtly religious uh, terminology. And it's based in the everyday. It's about praise to God. It's about faith in God. It's about food, daily needs that we have and it's about forgiveness and the grace of God if we follow him if we're in doubt of the, the everyday nature of it actually if you look at the whole of the context of the rest of that chapter it all fits with the, with the words that Jesus is saying in terms of the prayer it's completely linked so the prayer's about food, and then Jesus talks about fasting, and your fasting being visible to God. It doesn't need to be visible to everybody around you. You don't need to make a big song and dance about it. If you are fasting, it's to bring you closer to God in prayer, and therefore it needs only to be visible to God. 
He talks about money, but he talks about money in the context of being devoted to a heavenly father and not devoted to the material things that everybody owns. He talks about faith and says God will provide that faith for us. And he talks about forgiveness. And we are expected in our everyday lives to take on those aspects of God, to be forgiving to those around us because God does it to us. So inevitably, we look at ourselves, don't we? I certainly do. What about me and my prayer life, my personal life relationship with God? Am I reliant, are you reliant on Sunday services or a Bible class here or there uh, or the odd reading of the Bible in a quiet time to fulfill that relationship? I actually, there was another irony this morning when I arrived, I realized it was the, the monthly prayer session before the meeting, which I missed because I was trying to set up for the meeting, which I could have come to earlier and then gone to that prayer session. I, don't, I can't answer those questions for you. I can't tell by looking at you whether you have a personal and intimate relationship with God. You don't have halos around your head any more than I do. Um, but they are questions that I think are worth asking of ourselves and of our brothers and sisters. That's part of what fellowship is about. It's about challenging each other and helping each other to come up with some of the answers. And so when you go in if you're staying for a meal afterwards you will find some questions uh, on the table um, around the meal time and the idea is that you just you know it's not to take you away from having a nice time and chatting to your brothers and sisters and to your friends but it is to just prompt you to maybe ask a question about someone else's prayer life or to make a comment about your own that might be helpful to others um, that could those conversations could do so much more I think than me talking to you from up here I'll, I'll read some of these, but the songs are going to be difficult to do. Oh, well done. Well done, Charles. You just had to stand up. Somebody said a prayer for me. So, it's, it, so what I've been trying to describe is something about a, the sort of the difference between a corporate religious experience, if you like, and a personal intimate relationship. Um, and Jesus gives us plenty of reasons for prayer. There are some of them. Pray for each other so you might be healed. Ask and it will be given to you. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. They all seem like requests for God to change his mind or change his plans in some way. Um, if you read them at first, and take them at first value. If you believe you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. But I have a bit of a problem with that in some ways. Some of you might not and some of you will share why you don't. But... There's also some quite strong verses throughout the Bible that suggest that God doesn't change his mind. So maybe our prayers are just falling on deaf ears. He is not a man that he should change his mind. I, the Lord, do not change. God will change his announcements, but not his will. And our experience is probably, certainly my experience is, that not all prayers are answered. Certainly not in the way that I would like them to be answered. Miracles can happen, but they don't always happen, do they? 
There must be more to prayer than me asking God to sort my life out, to solve all my problems for me, to fix everything that I'd like him to fix. There must be more to prayer. There must be more reason for prayer. There must be more reason why God wants us to be in dialogue with him. There's a bit of a hint, I think, in Luke, when Jesus was asked about what a commitment to a personal relationship with God should really look like. And he says, well, he says lots of things uh, in Luke chapter 9 and 10 about the level of commitment that people should have over and above their own lives, if you like. But he says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest fields. And it makes me think that perhaps it's something more. Prayer is something more about bending our will to be more like God's rather than bending God's will to change things in our favour. In fact, Jesus' own prayers, the ones that we're told about, seem to match with this. There are two key moments that I could think of um, where Jesus prays or we're told about Jesus praying. One's given to us in Mark and one in John. The the one in John is a whole chapter of prayer. uh, Prayer for disciples, prayer for his apostles and prayer for himself just before he was um, taken away to be killed. But they're two key moments in his life. And after Jesus has been praying with God, and in one case, the latter case, praying to have things taken away from him so that he wouldn't, so that his life would be changed, but not for the worse. Afterwards, he's compelled to do something. So in the, in the first one, at the beginning of his ministry, he's compelled to go on his ministry. And then in the John chapter that we read, he's compelled to go and face his persecutors and prosecutors. His prayers appear to be about understanding God's will and then being compelled to follow it. And there's a great example of God changing his mind when in Exodus 32 when he wants to destroy Israel for turning away from him so quickly after the Exodus, after being, after being saved from their, their toil in Egypt. And yet actually that discussion that he has that prayer that he has with Moses or that Moses has with him seems to me to be much more about Moses learning about God's grace so God does relent from destroying Israel but it seems in the story as though what you what Moses has to do through that prayer with God is to learn that God is gracious that God is merciful So I'm not saying that God doesn't answer prayer in any way. I'm just challenging you to think about prayer perhaps as being more than just asking God for a change in the circumstances in your life. I just encourage you to think of prayer less as a telephone link to God that we pick up when we need him to sort something out for us, please. And instead of a telephone link, think of it as the strands of a rope which over a life of prayer, an everyday life of prayer, bind us together with God and strengthen our relationship with God, a personal relationship with God.
And if we go back to those earlier verses about prayer, and then just look at something that jumps out of them, which is the us in those prayers that Jesus is talking about. Pray for each other, says Jesus, so that you may be healed. Ask and it shall be given to you. If you believe, you will receive and what you ask for, sorry, what you ask for in prayer. My Father will give you whatever you ask for in your name. It feels to me as though Jesus is giving us quite a strong message about God's ways becoming our way of life. Just reflect on those. What Jesus seems to be saying is that your prayer life with God should have an impact on you, should change you, should make you more like our Heavenly Father and the example he gives us in Jesus. And to me, that gives great strength to prayer, and it probably makes my lack of prayer life even more stark. Because how can I expect an intimate relationship with God without prayer? How can I expect to be moulded into the person that he wants me to be without a conversation with my creator? I thought about some other examples. Jacob, who became the father of Israel, had his dreams. He was so intimate with God. He had dreams and visions um, in Genesis. Moses was confronted by God by a burning bush because of his intimate relationship with God and the plans that God had for him to be moulded into the person that he wanted him to be. God even talks about Israel as a nation in a personal way. He describes them as having carried them on eagles' wings in Exodus 19. And if you doubt that he offers us a personal relationship in any way, then just have a look at 1 John 4 verse 9, which talks about God and Jesus making their home, their abode with us, in us. The Corinthians verse says that we, all of us, are being renewed day by day. Not just getting older, not just getting wearier, not just racking up all the problems that we have in our life and looking at the past year and feeling low because we haven't achieved anything. But we're being renewed day by day by our personal relationship with God in the everyday things that we choose to do for each other. And then if you look at David, who behaved in his life that we can read about um, in everyday ways. He sinned in ways that we sin. He came close to God in ways that we can come close to God. And then at other times he was seen to be a million miles away. He was a very frail human. And yet you can read through some of the Psalms, like Psalm 139, how close he was to God. And actually the Psalms are prayers, aren't they? They are songs of prayer. Uh, and you can see if you read David's prayers, David's Psalms, the intimacy that he had with his creator God. If you look in Psalm 24, sorry, 27 verse 4. Ultimately David understood that for all his running away, for all his attempts to be his own man, that his life was really about an intimate relationship with God, about coming closer to God. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temples. So, whether you agree with me or not, and I'm happy for you to challenge me, um, for me, prayer is more about changing us than God. Jesus said to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Then the Father, then the Father will do whatever you ask in my name. That's because we've been chosen. We've been selected to be changed. And if we are changed in Romans, Paul says that we should be joyful in our hope. Patient in affliction. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be asking to be saved from affliction. If that's what God wills. But patient in affliction and faithful in our prayer. And you don't have to go to New Testament examples. You can look back at Jonah who was so determined not to do God's will. And then flipped completely into this overzealous uh, person for God. Who went to the Ninevites, told them everything they'd done wrong. And then they repented because they responded to his his call and Jonah perhaps like us sometimes then looked at God and said but you were going to destroy them (laughs) and you've not done it and I did all this stuff for you and I've come here and told them about it and now you're not doing it and God said yeah but that's me I'm full of grace and I've decided to save them so those prayers were about changing Jonah's impression of God And changing the Ninevites' impression of their life. And prayer is about growing closer to God. I like the example of Nehemiah. Um, It's one verse when he's a captive of uh, the Babylonians and he's talking to Artaxerxes, who obviously has seen something in him that's very special. And it just says, the king of Babylon said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the Lord and I answered the king. And whether it's right or not, I don't know. But I just get this impression of someone that's so buried in a personal relationship with God that there wouldn't have even needed to be a flicker of pause before he went back to the king with his response. He just offered up his response to God. And God gave him the words that he needed. He wanted to go back and Artaxerxes sent them back to Israel. It talks about the early apostles, in, uh, the early disciples in Acts as being devoted to the teaching of the apostles and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. And it goes on to talk about how they lived their lives in equality and they did the things that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount without even thinking about it because they'd become so ingrained in them They'd become close to Jesus and to God. And then you look at someone like David in the Psalms. If we just look at Psalm 51. So this is David approaching God, coming closer to God, despite the fact that he's just committed adultery and organized for the murder of the adulteress's husband. He's able to come up with words like this 
in order to call on God to have mercy on him. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you only have I sinned. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. That understanding that David displays, despite perhaps being in one of the situations in his life when he might have been furthest from God, he still entertains and believes in a personal relationship with a forgiving father. He still shows an understanding of the grace of God and he's still able to pray and communicate with his father in such a touching way. And after we've sung our next hymn, we're going to take some bread and drink some wine and share what is an everyday meal. It's intended to be an everyday meal of bread and wine, which reminds us of a remarkable act of selfless love. We're going to pray before we do that as well. Let's make sure it's an intimate prayer. And that we are open to binding ourselves closer to God through Jesus. Because that's what he wants of us. So let's sing together here in this holy place, beyond the veil. The third verse reads, Dear Lord, I want to hear your gentle voice. Let other voices cease their worrying. And in their stillness, open my eyes to your lovely smiling face. Lord, thank you for inviting us to your table. Thank you for inviting us to share in this meal with you and your son. We thank you for the bread, the body broken, the transforming power of this real food that we share together. And in this quiet moment around your table, in the sharing and in our eating, in our drawing close to you, help us once again to call on you and be changed through our lives of prayerful discipleship. Amen. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that you know our hearts and know us so well. And you know we need this regular reminder because however thankful we are for your for your love and mercy, we become distracted. And it is wonderful, Father, to be able to meet together like this, to to remember that you want us to be your children, you want us to be close to you.
And we thank you for sending Jesus to show us the extent to which that is what you want. Lord Jesus, we thank you for for your love and your grace and your mercy and for your sacrifice. And as we share this wine, we thank you that we can be together at this time and and share it together and remember your love uh, and spend this this quiet time in your company as as your family. Amen. Thank you, Liz, for singing that song to us a bit earlier on. I really wanted us to sing a prayer because it seems to me that we sometimes think that we switch on and off our communication with God. Um, In fact, one of the questions that I've got for you, which I don't really want to answer now, but I sort of am going to, is can we switch off communication with God Um, or not? The last thing you're right actually it's just a blank slide <laughs> that's very helpful thank you Charles the last example that I wanted to uh, us just to think about perhaps um, answers some of my own questions because it brings in this idea of faith and actually you know when when we look at the passages that we looked at earlier about Jesus saying when we should ask for God, we need to ask in faith that he will answer our prayers. But it also touches on this idea of actually life being a prayer rather than a prayer being a prayer. So you might not look at these verses and think this is a prayer, but to me it really is. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. That's that's a reflection of my prayers sometimes. You know, it's times when the, the seas are stormy. And you might argue they're not that stormy for me, but they seem it for me. And I shout out, Master, Master, we're going to drown. They're gripped with fear when they woke their Lord, when they started their prayer. And what did Jesus say? Well, first of all, what did he do? What he did was he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters and the storm subsided. And he did that despite them being faithless, if you like, or less than faithful. And when all was calm... Where is your faith, he asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. I suppose the final challenge, really, to all of us, is how much confidence do we think we can have in our answered prayer in our intimate relationship with our maker and his lovely son, Jesus. Does Jesus challenge us with the same question? Where is your faith when we think the boat's sinking? 
And do we stand in awe at what he can do in our lives in terms of changing us and in terms of saving us from ourselves? Because it's all about Jesus at the end of the day. And we're going to sing about that and then Charles, who is here, is going to close in prayer for us. For the joys and for the sorrows, the best and worst of times, for this moment, for tomorrow, for all that lies behind, fears that crowd around me, for the failure of my plans, for the dreams of all I hope to be and the truth of what I am, for this I have Jesus. Father God, God of the universe, God we can't measure by space or time. Father, you've come to us, you've reached out to us, and you've taken away every barrier and said that we can come to you. And Lord, in Jesus, we have seen today your hand reaching out. Lord, help us to live lives of prayer. I'm sure most of us have been thinking and looking at ourselves as we've shared readings and thoughts and songs and prayers. And we've realised how much peace we often forfeit all because we do not come to you in prayer. Lord, help us to have a stronger bond with you and our Lord Jesus. And help that start today. Amen.